0: A, f- a couple of yeses. There's a few concerned looks on people's faces. Okay. That's the norm, isn't it? Often we forget stuff. And that's why I'm going to say we're going to take two minutes to review. <laughs> so we're going to review so we can be Refreshed quick review of chapter 1 and a little bit more of a focus on what we've gone over so far in chapter 2 but let's pray because I need God God as we bow as we have our Bibles open before us Lord it's not a book to us we want to hear from you we want to understand more of you we want to have the true life-saving knowledge and understanding that comes from you Lord so we know it in our mind and that grows as a passion in our heart, Lord. So Lord, please give us understanding. Help me to speak clearly and truthfully to you. Lord, just guide us now. Amen. Truth. In the first section, in, if you remember, in chapter 1, verse three, 2 and 3, Timothy is reminded by Paul, according to the will of God, that he would keep people accountable to truth. That there was strange doctrine going on. Things were happening that weren't of God. People were trying to do church their way. Teach their thoughts, their beliefs. Pay attention to stuff that was apart from God or different from God. And we saw, or we read, that truth, the truth of God, has an identifiable testimony has identifiable fruit just like the, the testimony or the the work of, of which is not of god has an identifiable testimony and fruit because it's not of god it's not according to him truth is truth and that's what god is just like we've read before in john fourteen six, where jesus says i am the way the truth and the life no man can come to the father but by me So truth of God is identifiable in its fruit and its testimony because it is of God, therefore it honours God. And nothing that the Ephesians were doing there that we read about in 1 Timothy that was from themselves honoured God. It dishonoured God. It did the opposite, just like always happens when we do things that are not of God. It dishonours God. We also read right from the verse 1 about the hope the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in our God. And in verses 1 and 15 and 11, we saw how there's a a reflection or an indication, a remembrance put there, maybe a word or phrase about the glorious gospel, about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's there. And I mentioned last week how it continues on through Timothy. We'll see it again in chapter 2 again today. I'll remind you of it, how it stands out that hope is there because of Christ. And outside of Christ, there is no hope. Just as we saw in chapter 1, any, when we step aside from God's truth, there is no hope. But there is, we are outside of truth. But when we step and walk in God's truth, there is hope. Because that is the only way, the only place that we can find salvation. So let's continue on into chapter 2. And if you remember, we started off by talking about prayer. We talked a bit about whom we are to pray for. Why? Personally, the personal benefit, the, the honour to God, and the benefit for those who we pray for. And this is what God was asking Paul and Timothy to encourage the Ephesians in. They were encouraged to pray. So let's read through again the first few verses of chapter 2, just to remember a bit more vividly of what we read and talked about last week. First, This is chapter 2 and verse 1. First of all then, I urge you that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. So on behalf of all, that's our general approach for everybody. And verse 2, it gives a bit more of a distinction of who we had to focus on, or the Ephesians were, and also a pr- principle for us. The Ephesians, he, Paul asked them, remember, when he, when he wrote this, it was not a very friendly environment necessarily for believers in Christ, those who followed Christ. So listen to what he's saying to the leaders who are giving them a hard time. God calls them in verse 2. Now this, is, this statement here that we start to read is an exhortation. It's an exhortation. God is exhorting them. Okay, so it says in in verse 1, First of all then, I urge you that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So God calls us, as the request was from Wes earlier, that we pray for our leaders that we pray for them those who have authority over us too that we pray for them not a ritual prayer it's not what god's meaning when he says pray for them is he god wasn't calling the ephesians to say just give a bit of a ritual prayer have it written down in a book on a bit of paper so you can just repeat it ran either randomly or fairly consecutively at certain times or whatever no it's about a heart from the prayer in a true knowledge of who god is he calls us to pray for them with a heart for these people too. So as we remember that he calls us to pray for them, it's prayer that is true and faithful. Petitions. If I'm going to petition God on, on Mr. McGowan's behalf, I need to have a heart for him. I need to care for him. But yet most of all, I firstly need to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Otherwise they'll just be empty words just bouncing around in the air if I choose or think that I can operate or approach God outside of God in whom I am. So in a relationship with God, he calls us and he was calling the Ephesians to approach him in prayer. And that you think about that. God in his foreknowledge knows what we're going to say. He knows where our maturity and understanding is. He knows what his providence, what his will is, what his sovereignty is in it all. But yet he still calls us to go to him in prayer. As we read last week, we read that he chooses leaders and places them there. And so we're not to disrespect them. So in all of that, why do we talk to God? Why do we do this thing that we call prayer? If God knows it all and he's going to end up working everything out according to his will, why do we do it? Number one, because it is the will of God. If we are a child of God and we pursue God, we do His will because it pleases Him and it honours Him. Secondly, God actually grows us in that time of prayer. and He actually aligns us more to His will when we seek Him passionately, with petition, with a heart and mind for these people, but in priority for the will of God in their lives. We become more aligned with God in prayer when it is true prayer before God. So God calls us to pray for for our leaders, those who have authority over us, that there would be petition, that we would personally, that I would in my time of prayer each day or each moment, that I would petition God on their behalf, that I would think of Mr. Morrison, that I would pray for him, that I would remember to pray for Dirk, that I would pray for him as our CEO of the Shire, that I would care for him, that I would care for him. As we read on, it says, For all kings and all who are in, th- in authority, so that... So this is, um, and I'll mention this briefly last week, there are a number of reasons why God calls us to pray for, the, pray for our leaders. Here's the first one that he mentions. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. Now notice the verse doesn't stop there. In all godliness and dignity. The key is the part, the last few words: in all godliness and dignity. Tranquil is not a part; is not the key word here. In all godliness and dignity, so that we can function, so that we can have a clear, unhindered testimony and work of God in our lives. That is the benefit of when we pray for, and when we see God changing our leaders. When we see God changing our leaders to be more in align with his will when we see God changing our leaders so that they are saved. Now, just before here in chapter 1, if you remember, Paul, as he was, he gave the testimony from about verse 12 on about how he was someone he used to go and persecute the church, give believers like you and me a hard time, make sure that Trevor and Luke and Kay got killed on their way back to Jerusalem. That's what was going on, and that's who Paul was. That's what was going on when he was calling them to prayer. God's will here, through the words that he got Paul to write, 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 was that they would pray for their leaders so that they could live a godly life, that godliness would be exemplified in their life, so that there would be times when they would clearly testify of who God is. So let's continue on in verse 3 and see what else he has to say. So number two reason. Number one is so that we may lead a, lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. You know, So that we can clearly lead an unhindered life that honours God. Verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. I.e. it's the will of God. This is what God wants. It's good before God for us to Pray before our leaders, before him. It's a righteous act to do the will of God. It's unrighteous to not do the will of God. So let's continue on. So that's number two. Number three is in verse four. Who desires all men. So all here is an absolute sense. It's completely in everybody. So who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of... Of the truth to the full knowledge of who God is God wants you to pray for men for their good for their benefit for your personal benefit for God's glory and for the people's benefit so that they can get saved for their salvation so that they will know truth the truth of God and so that they can grow in that knowledge of truth that is why God calls you to pray. That is why God called the Ephesians here to pray for Nero, to pray for the governors around them, for their district, because they needed to be saved. God wanted them to know him as their God, as their saviour. So he called them to pray. Let's continue on. Verse 5 changes a little bit here, but it carries on with a the theme of salvation, 5 through to 7. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for, for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So here in verses 5 and 6, God reiterates. He makes it clearer that there is only one God. There is only one mediator. And what he's doing, is pointing out here that there is only one way to salvation. As I made the comment before about truth, whether I accept it or I deny it, if I want to try and live half in the truth and half out, truth is still truth no matter what I do with it. I can reject it. I can live as if it didn't happen. I can distort it. I can try and insert my preference or my opinion as truth. But none of it is truth that I make up outside of God. God's truth is truth. And what he is saying here is very clearly, there is only one God. There is only one God. It's not church it's not and religion. It's not about a sacred building where there's a sacred book where a few chosen people know the understanding and have the right to un- hear this elusive God. It's not what it is about. It is personal. God cares about you as an individual. He cares about me as an individual. He cared about these Ephesians here that he had Paul write to. And as we read back in, in verse 4, All. All. And it's in an absolute sense. God cares about the salvation of all. So here again, not only in chapter 1, in verse 1, but as we, in verse 11 and in verse 15, but also here, God keeps coming back to salvation, the redemption of mankind. We can't escape it. That is God's heart for mankind, that you would be saved. That is the most important thing that's ever happened in my life. That is the most important thing that can ever happen in your life. It's not that we did or didn't get a truck this year or we did or didn't get a new car or a new motorbike or whatever it is or that I passed my ATAR. The greatest thing in my life is the redemption of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, redemptive work of Jesus Christ for me. That I've put my faith in Jesus Christ Not that I just accept the information, but there is a true faith that believes in him wholeheartedly that produces fruit. And it's the same for each of us, isn't it? It is. It's the same for all of mankind. Faith in Christ alone deals with your sin, the redemptive supreme act of God. It is sufficient above all. I can't do anything to improve it, to usurp it, I can't do anything. In life, We have God's given us free will. We can accept what his plan is and apply it to our life, or we can reject it. God gives us that choice, this, only the two options. That is the truth of it. But the other truth of it is, God gets to choose my eternal destination. I don't get... I've made my comment, therefore God will be faithful to his word, to his act, and I will spend eternity with him. But true to God, as he's reminding the Ephesians here through Timothy and Paul, true that he's bringing back to our remembrance, or maybe to the first time in our understanding, if I accept it, that is my choice, and God's will follow through on my choice of rejecting him. Your choice, if you don't accept that salvation that you will spend eternity in the lake of fire. You will be separated from God. It's not a nice place. You won't be having beer with mates or or coke or sleeping in. Torment, pain, agony. A couple of years, uh, not this last seating, I think it was the one before. We have a wonderful dog at our house. It likes to run about that far alongside me, trying to bite my ankles while I'm riding. Never hang out again, it does a loop around the bike. Um, I was riding home trying to get back home quickly to get something and this wonderful dog decided to run straight in front of the bike and stopped. And I hit it and you know where I went? I went right over the handlebars and for a few weeks I couldn't use my right elbow. When I got up off the ground or actually before I was in that much agony and I was just that much pain and it took me right through seating a bit after that to get over it. Compared to the Great Lake of Fire It's nothing. The agony and the separation that you will go through if you do not accept Jesus Christ is nothing compared to that. Nothing compared to any pain or or angst, whether emotionally or physical. Nothing is compared. And this is what God is trying to bring out in his word to these Ephesians, that Christ is that one mediator. God is the one God. There is no hope outside of God. Therefore, he writes it again and again through Scripture. It keeps coming back all the way through. Despite all of what is going on in that Ephesian church, the key all the way through is to be true to God. And it starts with placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that's what he's trying to get through to these Ephesians. Salvation, and then let God work in you to build on that with his truth through the work of the Spirit. 1 Timothy 1.15 is a trustworthy statement and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But go to verse 17 and don't lose focus of what your life is about. Verse 17, now to the King Eternal, this is chapter 1, now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. God here is reminding the Ephesians, and we can take from this too. Our key focus, our key thing, needs to be for the glory of God, for the glory of God. So as we continue on through this book, the first chapter dealt a lot with the, the falsities happening in the Ephesian church. In the first part of it, then in verse twelve. Through the end, Paul talks about his testimony and the testimony of other men. How God was faithful to and called Paul in a, what he calls an untimely manner. But yet, it wasn't poor planning by God or anything like that. But yet, he called him to be his apostle. To be redeemed and then to be his apostle to the Gentiles. And then as we go on into chapter 2, it changes from the from the heresy and going on in the Ephesian church, and then it goes on to the individual. Okay, so we're going to deal with the, with the wrong that's happening here. Remember how God saved me, Paul's saying. That's what God asked him to say. So now let's deal with how, now how we're living our lives. And God's saying through Paul and Timothy, I want you to pray for your leaders. I want you to have a heart for your leaders, Ephesians, to pray for them, to petition me for them to intercede for them to have a heart for them why? you will get a benefit out of it as you live a godly life it honours God but my true heart or my greatest call here God says is so that they would be redeemed so that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ as their saviour and then next week from verse 8 Mike's going to go into some of the specific things happening in the Ephesian church and in what needs to happen in churches in general, the conduct of people. But as we finish up now, I ask you, I urge you, most of you have been here in this church as long as me or longer. Are you saved? Is your faith in Jesus Christ, in who he is as your saviour, in what he has done, not because you've been here, not because you've said a prayer, not because you've led communion or led a singing or s- prayed. Is it because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ? Is that why you are here? Do you have a love for him and therefore a relationship with him because your faith is in Jesus Christ? It is a truth it is a truth statement that Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only way that we have hope. That's why it says in verse 1 of Timothy, our hope, our hope. He is the hope of mankind. He's the better hope of being vaxxed or unvaxxed. He's the better hope of having a job. He's the better hope of a great harvest, a new machine, a new car, a new motorbike. He is the only true hope that we have when we have an understanding of our true position. That I am naturally, that you are, now this is something we don't like to get told, you are a sinner before God. That's not my judgment, that is His judgment on you and on me. So I ask you, please, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Saviour. It is God's heart for you, it is the best thing for you that he is your your saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, as we consider your testimony in our lives, in our community and in this world, Lord. Lord, we are so grateful. Lord, we were slaves to sin. But yet, Lord, we get that awesome privilege of now choosing to be slaves to righteousness. God, I thank you that you accept me as your child not because anything that i've done but yet lord like so many others millions of others i came to you in repentance and faith lord knowing that you are all sufficient as my savior that jesus christ he died on that cross in full sufficiency as the payment for my sin and not just mine but for all of mankind so god i thank you for that i thank you that he didn't stay there but yet He rose again from the grave, showing his power over death, that he is supreme, that he is God. Lord, thank you for our salvation. Thank you that you have provided it for us. And I am eternally grateful to you.